Hello again, and welcome to The Tattooed Mind, a podcast where we explore the intersection of mental health, self-care, and the art of tattooing. My name is Mike Fisher-Dubois, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Michael dolak Uh Mike recorded this episode with me about a month and a half ago, and since then, he's been in a pretty severe motorcycle accident. Um, I'll have some information in the description of this episode. It'd be great to have you show him some support. Mike is a talented young tattooer, as well as a podcast host, a musician. On our episode, we talk a lot about self-doubt and about his experience and learnings through Buddhist practices. I had a really good time talking with Mike, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation. Thank you. I am Michael Dolog Post. I tattoo in Racine, Wisconsin, uh, out of Black Hand Tattoo Gallery. Um, I do American traditional style tattooing primarily. That's kind of my bread and butter. Um, but obviously, I don't. I, I don't try to box myself in too much. Um, <clears throat> I've been tattooing about four years. Um, also, I over the time I. I've kind of developed into sort of a road dog, which my, my mentor actually yelled at me for not too long ago. Not like yelled at me, but he was like, you need to fucking stay in one place. I was like, I can't, can't. Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's mostly what I, what I do. Um, like I said, I try not to box myself in too much and I, I, I really like to explore other things, but primarily I stick to the sort of Americana look. Um, yeah, I grew up. In uh, a low low income household on the north side of Racine, and uh, wasn't really ever much of a visual artist, which um, I know other tattooers will always scold me for. But if there's one thing that tattooing has taught me, it's that I don't fucking care. Um, but I started getting tattooed uh, quite a bit right out of high school, and uh, all throughout high school, I did graphic design. Um, and, uh, I guess just to add into the, the whole, not really ever being a visual artist thing, I was always a music kid, which, you know, obviously is kind of a pretty common theme in tattooing. A lot of us tattooers were, uh, fan dudes or musicians in the past. Um, but anyhow, I was getting tattooed quite a bit out of high school and, uh, the guy that I was getting tattooed by Steve Warrens, um, he was super into me being into music and was into the fact that I was doing graphic design and had mentioned to me one day that, uh, I could learn how to tattoo and I could use the skills that I had in graphic design to make my designs and, and, you know, tattoo. And at the time I was just like, ha ha, yeah, whatever. Like I didn't care. I'd never once thought about doing tattoos. Um, and, uh, probably about a year later, um, I was at a point where I was like delivering pizzas and I just didn't, I don't know. I just realized that there was nothing that I was really doing with my life. And, uh, I was obviously still getting tattooed and, uh, you know, I just kind of hit him up and was like, Hey, do you guys, um, need an apprentice? Cause he had asked me at one point to come lend a hand on a, a flash sale day that they were doing. And, uh. So yeah, I just, I hit him up, asked if they needed an apprentice and I came and hung out for a little while. I probably hung out for 
you know, a month, month and a half, just kind of chilling. And uh, I kind of sucked at being like a hangout, like I, at the in-between, you know, like I wasn't really an apprentice, but I definitely, uh, I definitely wasn't, you know, just getting tattooed anymore. And uh, so I just kind of stopped showing up. I was like, hey, fuck this. This isn't really for me. And then a few months later, I was talking to the guy who would end up being my mentor. Uh, we were like hanging out and I was still like coming to the shop and hang out with him and stuff. So it's not like I was really, I wasn't really gone all too much. And uh, I was just like, I made a joke to him. I was like, huh, you should teach me how to tattoo on the side, which is like the fucking dumbest thing I could have ever said. And uh, he was like, why don't you just come back and be an, be an apprentice? I was like, okay. And uh, yeah, so I, I started apprenticing at Skin Candy. And uh, shortly after that conversation, uh, a good friend of mine named Dylan Pavia, who was like a childhood friend, uh, died in a car crash literally the week before I was supposed to start my apprenticeship. And... Um, the apprentice who was at the shop at the time named Simon uh, actually approached me at his funeral and was like, hey, um, when are you going to come start your apprenticeship at the shop? Because we need someone to scrub tubes and mop the floor and I need to do tattoos. And I was like, uh, well, I mean, I was going to start this weekend. But clearly, as you can see, as we are here at a funeral, that I am a little bit preoccupied. And I was going to take an extra week past that to, you know, kind of get into the rhythm of going in. But I just started that week and that kind of set the pace for the sort of approach that I had to my apprenticeship. Um, and uh, it was it was kind of tough at first. Uh, I... I definitely going into it was kind of a pushover. Um, I was a bit of a pussy and uh, it was pretty apparent in the fact that I got bullied into starting my apprenticeship while trying to like put together my best friend's eulogy. And uh, yeah, just, just going in right away. Um, I think that, I don't know. I just didn't really know what to expect. Um, I wasn't given a big rundown on, you know, what an apprenticeship would be like. And to be fair, my mentor was, I think, maybe six months to a year out of his apprenticeship. And the shop that we were at was very much so like an apprentice puppy mill. They really wanted people there to scrub their tubes and sweep the floor and mop the floor. And not, I, I'm not to say that my mentor was like that, but the people that were, I guess, more so above him in the shop didn't really care about what we were doing because of the fact that it was going to benefit them in, in some way. Um, and, uh, a lot of things in my life kind of went on the back burner for that. I was, I was working on music still a lot at the time, uh, just like probably two years beforehand. And, um, the band that I was touring in had ended. Um, and I was working on the musical project that I'm now a part of and, uh, I knew that I was just going to need to take a step back. And um, on top of that, on top of putting things kind of on the back burner, I also didn't really have anywhere to live for the most part. Um, I stayed with my friend Brittany uh, in town. She let me, she knew what I was going through and knew that I kind of, I, I could either, you know, 
live with her and she would let me live there rent free or I'd have to move back home with my parents, which I really didn't want to do. I was kicked out like as soon as I turned 18 and I just didn't have, I didn't want to do that. I was a little too prideful. Um, so uh, I, I ended up kind of setting up a post at her house, but I didn't have a way around town. I didn't have a way to my apprenticeship. So essentially, um, Monday nights, I would get a ride to the shop and I would have all of my clothes in a duffel bag and I would stay at the shop the entire week. Uh, and then Saturday night, you know, my girlfriend or maybe one of my siblings or anyone that I could really get to give me a ride home would give me a ride home or I would, I would stay with like friends if I could. And, and my, my mentor was also doing that at the time. He didn't really have anywhere to stay. So him and I sort of like buddied up in the shop and, uh, got air mattresses and slept on the floor. And I spent my days, you know, cleaning and, and drawing and watching tattooing and spent my nights skateboarding in a fucking parking lot, like trying to, trying to grieve uh, <laughs> how my life was going. I was like, oh God. Um, and I think uh, I, in retrospect, um, I think it would have been a significantly worse time in my life had I not been sober at that point, I had gotten, I had gotten sober at the end of 2018 and I started my apprenticeship in May of 2019. So I, I wasn't drinking and, uh, it was again, I mean that it could have been worse. I think if I hadn't, you know, hit that sobriety, but it was definitely a really tough time. Still, there was another person in the shop who was kind of an apprentice, but kind of not, um, he had apprenticed under some people beforehand and then came to the shop to, uh, I guess, finish his apprenticeship, but also just begin tattooing in general. And he was very, very hungry because like at this point he was, you know, three, three and a half years into people just kind of dicking him around with his apprenticeship and he just wanted a tattoo and he was willing to do whatever it took. And uh, him, him and the rest of the shop, I think, kind of just got on a lot better than the shop and I, um, mostly because they were all kind of already friends with him. And uh, it got tough at, at a lot of points. And being the only sober person in the shop was, I think, a big source of some of the troubles that I ran into, especially with like the fact that there's kind of a power dynamic in place. I say kind of, there's a huge power dynamic in place. Um, being an apprentice, you know, you have to earn your stripes. You, you are the bottom bitch of the shop. And I definitely had to fully embrace that role. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was a, it was a tough one for me. Like I said, going into it, I was kind of a pushover. I was kind of a pussy. And on top of that, I was in like a super heavy period of like complicated grief and was also still semi homeless. And, uh, it, um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to nail down, like sort of what the hardest part of that whole process was. Um, but I, you know, like I said, being sober, uh, helped me a lot in retrospect, looking at it that way. Um, but either way, nonetheless, um, I did that for probably eight months. Um, and then I kind of ended up getting bullied out of my apprenticeship. 
essentially this other person who was at the shop who was playing the role of an apprentice at the time was telling me that I was going to get fired. And, uh, you know, it was instilled in me at this point that like, you know, um, quitting an apprenticeship would mean that you were, because if you, or sorry, getting fired from one would mean that you were done. If you got fired from an apprenticeship, nobody else would want to take you on because you got fired. So I thought that my only shot at being able to become a tattooer was to quit and figure it out. So that's what I did. I quit. Um, I traveled and, and hung out with some friends and, and ate acid mushrooms for a couple months and realized that I really did want to tattoo. I mean, at that point I had been in the skin, you know, a, a few dozen times and I had, I had gotten the taste of what doing tattoos were like on a, you know, a very small, you know, apprentice level. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life, you know? And, uh, I was kind of in talks with a couple of shops about going and, and, you know, finishing up my apprenticeship at them. But, uh, eventually my mentor ended up leaving that shop, uh, probably a month and a half, maybe two months after I had left and, uh, they called me and they were like, Hey, um, you know, he left, uh, do you want to come back and apprentice under the shop and finish it out? And I was like, yeah, of course. So I went back to where I had started it and uh, did that for another five, six months. And then eventually I was able to start taking walk-ins. And and in general, um, I was still like, I should have been an apprentice long after I, you know, walk, got up to the back. Like I definitely was still doing apprentice level tattoos for a while. And uh, I I dug myself in deep in a lot of ways, which I'm sure a lot of us have probably done. Like most people have probably done from what I've, from what I've learned talking to other tattooers. And, uh, you know, I, I realized after a certain period that I, you know, I, I needed to learn more. I wanted to learn more. And, uh, I got to have a little bit of taste of what kind of knowledge is out there. Thanks to the internet. And uh, eventually found my way into a better shop that respected my time and respected my space and and knew how to teach from the dynamic of, you know, positive reinforcement rather than negative reinforcement. And on top of that, started to travel. Um, I started to go to other states and do guest spots and I started to do conventions and and uh, over you know, geez, probably over the course of like a year, year and a half went from, you know, kind of being very new and green to this to obviously still being new, still being green, but very much so um, just being kind of a road dog. And, you know, I, I think that my tattoo, my tattooing abilities got a lot better and in a short period of time because of the fact that I was able to nurture my growth and you know, lay down healthy boundaries and also explore and not be like held into a box. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of what has gotten me into where I am today. So that's awesome, man. What a story you've got. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's super cool to listen to a guy who's right at like this sweet spot in his career where, you know, you, you finish your apprenticeship and you, went through that like I, I feel like a lot of us when we finish our apprenticeship we have this moment where we're like oh well i'm done with my apprenticeship i know everything and then right after that we have this like terrible crash of self-esteem and then when it kind of slowly builds up 
Um, and, and there's like this sweet spot right around that four or five year mark where you're at, you know, assuming you put in the work where you actually start to see some results now. Um, so it's cool to see when you like, you're still happy, you've got like some confidence in your work, but you don't have th this massive ego that kind of can sink into some people. Um, so it, it's really cool to hear you tell about that. Uh, and that seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a pretty good, like kind of the steps that you went through, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I mean, Think, I think that's been like the newest thing to me really is, is finally having a little bit of confidence and ability, you know, but also still realizing like, oh yeah, I don't ever, I will not ever stop learning. Like there's not ever going to be this, you know, um, there's never going to be this day where it's like, oh, I know it all. I'm good. Like. How much of that do you think has to do with the people that you like to surround yourself with? Uh. I mean, I, I mean, I will say like pretty early on into my apprenticeship, like watching the, the Hori Stoku documentary really instilled in me the fact that I need to be humble, which is something that my mentor actually used to yell at me about. He was like, you know, you have too much humility and, you know, you need to have more confidence. I'm not, not to say that the people around me obviously don't, don't ground me still. Cause I've, I've been very lucky to surround myself with some really awesome colleagues. Um, but I have always tried to carry an approach of like, I am not shit. And I need to remember that like, it is going, it's very easy for me and anybody, like it's easy to revert back if you get too comfortable, you know? So just remember like, you know, me to me, you are not shit. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, it, and there's probably a lot of that. It's just about like when you're growing all the time, you know, you, you can have like little reminders like, oh, wow, that's such a cool thing. I've never done that before. Um, which you are a guy who's constantly growing, you know, I follow you on Facebook, uh, and I'm sure a lot of the people who will listen to this do too. And, um, dude, it's super cool to see. Cause it's like, you can ju just tell you're picking up tr little tricks all the time, uh, which is something a lot of tattooers I feel like don't do. Um, what's your approach? when you're trying to just learn and what, what do you think when you look at other people's tattoos, like what's going on in your head? Oh, that's a tough one. Especially cause like, I, I personally feel really lazy a lot of times. Like, I feel like I don't, I don't know. I go through these weird periods of time where like, I get so caught up in like the, the Roman numerals and, and the little Pinterest stuff that like, I kind of forget that I have to like, sit down and think about, you know, trying to push myself. But I, uh, I like to, I like to just consume a lot of different styles of tattooing. Um, a lot of what I follow, like, I mean, I follow a bunch of tratty dudes, like I do tratty. So that's what I like to see. But like, I love, I love dissecting you know, tattoos from black and gray artists and, and neo-traditional artists and, and new school artists, especially new school artists. Cause like, I just, I feel like new school tattooing is like just such a, such a ringer, you know, like it really like puts you to the test. I feel not that I, I've, I've never really done new school, but it just looks so fucking hard. Um, 
And like a lot of times when I am consuming these, these, like the content of these tattoos, I, I like to look at them and approach them in a way of like, if I had done this, what would I have hated about it? Cause like every tattoo that everybody does, no matter how good it is, like the person that does it is going to hate something about it because they personally did everything from like the best part of it to the worst part of it. And not that I look at those things as like, oh, this is bad. Like this is a bad part of the tattoo. Like not at all, but it's a, to me, it's a really awesome way to find the human in a tattoo, or I guess more so like the humanity in it, I guess like, you know, cause like I said, no matter how great a tattoo is, if you ask that person who did it, what they don't like about it, they'll always be able to tell you what they don't like about it, even if you don't see it. And I like to kind of um, reverse engineer tattoos in that sort of way. And um, when I see things that I really like about a tattoo, you know, I'll think like, how can I implement that into like what I do without, you know, trying to like bite someone's shit. I guess that's, that's really the, the approach that I try to take and how I sort of try to filter out the inspiration with like the, the construction. That's awesome. No, that's a really clever idea. Um, I've never thought about that. I guess there's a big part of me that just assumes I'm the only one who like looks at all the tattoos in my like portfolio and hates every single one of them, or at least hates like a large part of them, you know? Um, so that's cool because like, I'm really good at figuring out what I hate about my tattoos. So I'm sure that like allows you to really dig into the meat of someone else's work when you're looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's this weird like hesitancy is if that's the word. Um, I think or reluctancy, maybe. I don't know if that's anyways, people are reluctant. I think to, um, talk about the things that they hate about their tattoos, like Dude, it's okay to like fucking hate how you whipped off of something or like, it's okay to hate. I don't know. It's okay to just hate your shit. Like, cause we're just all going to always, that's the plight of the artist, right? Like, I mean, it's a good thing. If you didn't have that, you know, you, you'd be worse off. Like I get very self-conscious a lot of times about posting things. Cause I'm like, oh Nice. Like I just, I just, this fucking tattoo looks like shit, but I'm going to post it. Cause I got to post something. And then like, like, uh, my mentor in particular has, has come up to me about tattoos that I post. And he's like, dude, like I, that shit is killer. Like that thing that you just did was awesome. And I remember like, I have specifically been like, wow, that's really awesome that you think that. Cause I think it looks like fucking dog shit. Um, but I'm glad that you said that. And, you know, like I said, creating that boundary, between me and clients and me and other tattooers and just me and other people in general and trying to maintain that while still consciously analyzing like the work that I do and the work that I, you know, look up to and that I inspire, that I'm inspired by. It's, I don't know. It's just weird. There's like a weird, it's hard to draw the line. Do you think that the instinct to create those boundaries and box yourself in and keep your feelings kind of away from this outside world tracks back to your apprenticeship when you did like feel like you were kind of alone and outnumbered in the shop and, you know, like not necessarily like you were a part of the crew the way that other people were. Yeah, totally. Um, 
I, and it was something that I even noticed for a long time, uh, you know, when I would travel and go do like guest spots and stuff. Like I remember in particular, like going to like one of my, one of my first guest spots that I had done was out in San Jose at a shop called the Holy Scythe Tattoo. And like everybody at the Holy Scythe is like fucking heavy hitter. Like they're all so good at tattooing. And like, I remember, I remember showing up and I think at this point I had been, I had been at, at this new shop that I had been working at for probably 10 months, maybe at that point. And, uh, by then I had kind of shaken off, you know, some of the, some of the weights that I felt that I was carrying from the initial place that I started at. But still was very much so like scared, you know, like, man, all of these people are going to look at my tattoos and, you know, I'm just going to get judged like all the way. They're going to tell me to fucking leave. Like I'm out in California. I can't just fucking leave. Like I need to make money. Like this is awful. And uh, I remember going out there and, you know, a couple of days in, I did my first tattoo and um, Matt. Uh, Matt Tillman, the owner of the shop, really, really, really talented tattooer. Um, I remember him being like, dude, that's fucking clean. And I was like, huh, that's really weird. Like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know. It's hard to articulate how I felt. But I think, I think, you know, having that kind of boxed in approach and that's sort of like shrunken you know like viewpoint of of myself and my tattooing with something that took a while to shake loose from my apprenticeship and you know try and try and overcome which has been you know a really big battle for me in terms of like finding confidence but i think that you know there's a silver lining to everything and i think a big part of that is you know having the ability to like try and create those boundaries and and be harsh on myself while still being kind to myself and still being analytical of my work, which has then translated into being, being capable of analyzing other people's work from, you know, a very empathetic viewpoint and, and pick apart things that I could, that I could use and things that I could, you know, implement to my skill set realistically, you know? Totally. I totally, I find it personally so hard to accept those compliments, like what you're talking about when people give them to you. Uh, my first instinct is that people are just being nice, you know? Um, yeah. so that's like, it's, it's good that you seem like you've kind of found yourself a, a way out of that. Like, oh, they're just being nice to me sort of mindset. And to be able to actually like accept those and take them in as just honest, like, Hey, no, that's clean as shit. Good job. Um, cause yeah, I, I totally like, oh, well, you, you'll have to see it healed. It's going to look like shit when it heals. Yeah. Yeah. I still feel the same way. And honestly, I think a big, a big, um, a big help with that has also been music. Cause like, you know, I did music for a long time before tattooing and like, I think I was probably 15 when someone had first gotten lyrics that I had written tattooed on them. And like up until that point, like every compliment that, you know, we had gotten or I had gotten, you know, I've, I felt kind of awkward about, and, you know, I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I think you're just, 
you're probably just being nice. Like, you know, like the, the very typical, like good sip, like, you know, whatever. Um, but then like going, experiencing that, especially at such a young age, and then like seeing that kind of behavior and that kind of, uh, appreciation more and more over time, I think helped prepare me for being able to cope with that in tattooing. It's still hard, obviously having your self doubts, but that, that helped a lot. Um, totally. So I'm going to completely switch tracks for us right now. Um, you talked a little bit about how, when you were in this break between like your apprenticeship, you took like a, a month or two there and you basically spent a, a good portion of the time tripping out. Um, I, so I I'm completely sober, you know, like, uh, and I have been for years, so I don't touch any of that stuff, but I'm always so fascinated when I hear stories about people who have these like real lasting experiences off of hallucinogens that really kind of change their perspective on a lot of stuff. Um, and it sounds like that sort of might've been what happened to you, uh, as far as like letting you know, like, man, I want to be a tattoo artist. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us a cool story out of that or, you know, just what your experience doing this was. Um, so have you, have you ever taken a psychedelic like acid or mushrooms? Yeah, I've taken, uh, definitely my fair share. Let's see. Okay. Okay. Well, I, so to, I guess to give a little bit of context, I've eaten mushrooms a fuck ton. Like mushrooms are my bread and butter, but in particular during that break, I took acid, which is not my fucking bread and butter. Um, I've taken it once, but that one time, um, I just, I remember on the come up, like I just pulled out my little sketchbook and I sketched up like a big rose opening up with like clouds coming out of it and like a clipper ship sailing out of it. And like, I remember the entire time just being like, man, like I just want to tattoo. Like I obviously cannot do a tattoo right now because I'm on 125 micrograms of LSD. But like, man, I just really want to tattoo. And like, that's all I could think about for a while during my trip. And, you know, I went through my, my waves of, you know, becoming introspective. And I was with my fiance at the time. So like, I went through my, my cycles of like, oh, I love you so much. Like you are for sure my like soulmate and whatever, yada, yada, yada. And I went to bed at probably like 10 or 11 AM the day afterwards. And and knocked out and woke up and went back to hang out with my friends who I had, I had tripped with. And I just remember being like, like, dude, like I just felt squished. Like I felt, felt dehydrated, like mentally and emotionally, but also at the same time, just felt like there was this giant weight of, you know, creation that just needed to like burst out of me. And, uh, you know, I was whatever I was doing, running errands with my buddy and we were supposed to be having a party that night. It was like a, I think it was the day after Halloween. So he was having like a Halloween party and like he had this big white, you know, fold up table, like the typical white table. And, and I was like, man, I don't know what to do. Like my brain just is so weird. And he handed me a bunch of Sharpies and he's like, how about you just draw on this table? And like, I remember I drew like. Uh, a big skull with a giant snake coming out and like 
this fucking giant rose and another skull and like spider webs, like a spider and like just a bunch of like, I just went fucking nuts on this table. And it was all like, you know, Americana tratty imagery because that's all I fucking know how to draw since I didn't grow up drawing. And uh, I just, oh, dude, like it just felt so good. And like, I felt like a human after that, you know, I was still a little bit of like macaroni brain, um, but it just... You know, that in particular, that whole experience really just solidified the fact that like, oh, yeah, I really have sank like months of myself into this so far. Like, it would be dumb for me to like not keep pursuing this. Like, I don't want this to be in vain. Like, I didn't just scrub all those fucking tubes for nothing. And uh, I mean, since then, I haven't taken acid. Like I said, it's 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 not my cup of tea, but I have had a few times like a hand, a good handful of times since then where I've like taken mushrooms and have just been able to really like sink into what my conscious mind likes to dictate for myself. And I've been able to dissect the person that I think that I am, you know, on top of, on top of, you know, who I actually am, which is something that I can't really consciously understand, but yeah, I don't know. It was very helpful and just me being able to see that like I, you know, I am purposely doing things and there is reason why. And yeah. So but you said something really interesting, the person that you think that you are versus the person that you actually are. Am I like, what, what's that mean? I don't think I've ever like heard it, that phrase. So I guess to, to, provide more context for that because it's not like i pretend to be someone that i'm not or anything but uh ram das has a quote um who are you going to be who are you going to be when you're done pretending to be the person that you think you are which is essentially just like we identify with these different roles in our lives and you know it's it's really easy to be like i'm a tattooer I tattoo, I'm an artist, I do this, I do that. But like, there's layers to it. You know, there's more than just that. You know, in 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 particular with Ram Das, he shortly after, or not shortly after, sorry. Um, yeah, I guess a little while into his career at Harvard, he took psilocybin with Timothy Leary for the first time. And he recalls how he saw visions of himself um, which I've never done. So I don't know how that works. Um, but he, he saw visions of himself as these different identifiers in his life, like a professor and a, a, a celloist and a pilot and, you know, a motorcycle enthusiast and a car enthusiast. And he saw visions of himself in, in all these different things. And slowly it all got stripped away until he thought like, oh my God, my body is gone. Like, I can't even see my body. Like what? What is this? And that was when he realized that his whole life and who he was was essentially just who he thought he was. He thought he was a pilot. He thought that he was, uh, you know, a Harvard professor. And, you know, you are those things to an extent. Like, you can't forget those things because then you lose your zip code and then you're fucked, <laughs> I guess, and, and to metaphorically phrase it. But, um, you know, I guess, uh, I guess I just mean like consciously we will always adapt, um, these roles that we have in our lives, 
uh, and and claim that we are these things, you know. You know, I I am a tattooer. I guess I'm a person that does tattoos for for money. This is my income, but also I'm significantly more than that, you know. And I am a person that like writes music and you know likes to perform and do that. But I'm also significantly more than that. What I am is nobody. I am not somebody. Like I pretend to be somebody when I like to go out and play shows and when I go to work and whatever. But I am kind of nobody, just like we are all kind of nobody, you know, we are in essence and, um, you know, whether or not that essence at the end of, you know, this um, subjective experience of it dies out or whether I have to take the curriculum again or whatever, that's not up to me to decide. Um, But all I know is that in this time and, and where I am right now, I am, I just am. I just kind of am, you know, and I'm not like none of these other things anchor me down in any kind of way. They're a part of me. They're a part of like this adaptation of what I think that I am and what I experience. But realistically, like that's not actually what I am. I'm kind of just a fucking big old pile of meat fucking learn to walk. And, you know, I got a weird spacesuit on and yeah. So I, I like that. So it's, it's like the mask, you know, yeah. like, uh, the people who are like neurodivergent, they're, you know, all, we're all masking and creating like an illusion of ourselves that we feel like people accept a little bit more easily than the actual self. Um, yeah. so, so who are you when that mask comes off then? What, like, what do you look at yourself? Like, you know, you, you build these walls, you've got this mask, but you know, like what, what does it mean when you're like, man, I, like, I don't want to ask like to this, make this too deep and personal, but like, you know, if you, if you have all these like, you know, forward facing things, these outward things that other people are seeing, um, you know, like at the end of all of that, when none of that stuff is left, what, what do you have left? Like you personally? Um, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm still trying to figure out. Um, and not that it's. Not that it's something that I can firmly grasp, but Ram Dass said it best. I am loving awareness. Uh, I mean, I guess that's really all that I can say. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I'm very nuanced as people are, you know, yeah. I have, I have my issues and I have my, you know, the things that intrigue me and the things that kind of pulled me back. And, you know, in terms of like materialistically speaking, you know, I'm a video gamer, I'm a musician. I, you know, I like to do all these things, but ultimately um, and you know, I, I really, I can credit, I can credit this very slight understanding to psychedelics and also to the teachings of the Buddha. I'm, um, I'm glad you brought that up. I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah. I knew that was going to come eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I got this big 35 tattooed on my face as everybody calls it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, sorry. Are, are you a guy that meditates? Um, Yes and no. I'm very bad at it. I talk about it with my therapist all the time. Cause my, you have my guilt th- about not meditating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. Um, I it's funny. I, I refer to my buddy, Joe Lambert all the time. Uh, Joe Lambert is a tattooer up in green Bay who is, um, a Buddhist and he is the person that showed me kind of the path of the Buddha because before then I kind of accidentally got really into Hinduism and, uh, uh, 
he, I was talking to him about that recently. I was like, man, I feel so out of touch with like the Dharma and like my practices. Like I've, I've had a really fucking shitty year. And, um, you know, I, I said to him, I'm like, oh man, like, I just feel so far from it all. You know, like, I feel bad. Like, you know, do you understand that? You know, you're going like, do you, do you get that? He's like, oh yeah, of course. But like, just remember, like our teachings are cyclical. Like the things that you need to be doing, you will be doing when you need to do them. And sometimes like it is significantly better to put distance there than to, you know, only half immerse yourself in them. And that made me feel a lot less bad. I'm like, okay, I understand. I get it. Especially because like you can find meditation in, in other things that aren't actually meditation. Or I guess more so there's, there's other ways that you can do it. You know, there's um, visual meditation for people who have, you know, very active, um, you know, visual, visual reception in their brain. Um, there's also, um, I can't remember if it's tantric, um, meditation or if it's technically, uh, like mantra meditation. It's the sound it, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, you don't have to just sit and be silent. You know, there's so many ways to do it. And honestly, it, I hate to sound so fucking cliche, but like tattooing is very much so meditative for me. Totally. And it's also probably a reason why a lot of new clients feel weird. Cause I don't talk at all. Like if people talk to me, I'll talk back. But like a lot of times I just like. What, what brought you towards Buddhism? Uh, so I guess really the way to explain that is kind of to just explain what brought me to Hinduism. Okay. Which was initially psychedelics as it usually goes for most people in the West. Um, psychedelics and, and really just getting this feeling for you know, there being more out there. I mean, for a long time, I was very much so atheistic. Um, and I don't want to say that I've completely abandoned that because there is like a level of, in Buddhism, there is a level of like skepticism that you should maintain. Um, but I definitely, I was very ignorant for a long time and was very much so like, uh, I just had embedded myself this idea of like, there's nothing more, you know, like I'm a realist, there's nothing more. And then I took mushrooms and I was like, holy fuck. I'm like, oh God, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Like, oh man. And, uh, I think at that point in time in my life, I was really looking for not only like security in in myself and who i was but i was also going through um grief really heavily which is something that for some reason i'm saying every six months <laughs> i'm grieving a lot because a lot of fucking people die on me um and uh at the time i just i i started to read ram das i actually i saw a buddy of mine he he posted about ram das literally a year after Ram Dass had died. And I, for some fucking reason, just for some reason, I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, I need to look into who this guy is and went really deep into the rabbit hole. The first book that I read was Polishing the Mirror and like reading that book was as transformative for me as a person 
as my first experience with psychedelics. I mean, the first night that I took psilocybin was, I'll say this always for the rest of my life, that was one of the best nights of my life. Like it, it changed my life entirely. And reading that book changed my life entirely. And it just kind of led me in this direction. And uh, like I said, for a long time, I say a long time, it's like probably seven months. I was like super, super into Hinduism, like read the Bhagavad Gita and, and really started to look at the Vedic scriptures and got super into that. And, and once I started to actually learn about Buddhism, especially through my buddy, Joe, that's when I'd realized like, oh yeah, there is so many things that are shared between these two beliefs that when I'm actually, what I've actually been looking for is Buddhism. And so that's that, kind of why, yeah. Yeah. Myself. So that brings up, a, it was going to be another question if you were both Buddhist and a Hindu still, or if you were just a Buddhist, but so you don't really like follow like the, you know, beliefs about like all the gods that are included in Hinduism and all of the mythology of that. I love, I love Hindu mythology. Oh, like, it's so beautiful. It's yeah. It, the art is beautiful. And like the, the principles are so beautiful and the practices are beautiful. But I mean, that's also the same Christianity too. I mean, there's a huge fucking portion of like the Christian demographic that I fucking cannot connect with. Like. And that's, it took me a while to realize like, oh yeah, there's also a fuck ton of like the Hindu demographic that I also cannot connect with because like, I just don't, I don't know, in, in, in everything, there are people that, you know, very much so embody, you know, masking themselves with this thing to their yeah. advantage, you know? Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's one of like the, the downfalls of like every like spiritual belief is then the religion that comes after that, you know? So you have all these spiritual teachers and then enough people get together who are like, oh, this is stuff that really makes sense. And then somebody will be like, hey, wait a second. If we tell them this is what this thing says, they'll just do it because they yeah. will do the rest of the things. So they assume that they should do that too. Uh, so it becomes so easy to manipulate, unfortunately, you know? Um, and, and and we see, you know, especially, you know, not to get on a ramp, but we see the results of that. You know, if you look at uh, American society with, you know, modern evangelicalism, or if you look at Indian society with the way the caste system has split their country apart for centuries, you know, uh, because of Hinduism. So it's like, it's so weird the way, you know, societies like, can just take something and figure out a way to manipulate people using it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and that was one of the, I think one of the things that really made me understand like, okay, there are these things about this belief system that I can really still love and cherish. You know, I, I think that there's, you know, a ton of benefit to reading and understanding the Bhagavad Gita and like how this, you know, fictional thing. Cause I mean, I, obviously I'd, for people that are familiar, I didn't realize this until probably a year or two ago, but in Hinduism, it's very well known that the plight of Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita is entirely fictional. When I first read it, I was like, huh, so people think this should actually happen? No, it turns out they don't. Um, but the fact that like these, these principles are still embodied in, in a very um, theatrical way, you know, I, it, it just, it made me realize like, okay, there are a lot of these things that I really love. 
And that's where like all of these things cross over in Buddhism and in, in Hinduism, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, well, yeah, just was the Buddha was a Hindu, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I, I, I think technically, yeah. um, he was, he was, I mean, he was raised in that time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's another thing too, that is pretty insane here in the West, which I hadn't even thought about until I read, um, Paths to God by Ram Dass. Um, when you look at, when you look at the period of time that, um, Siddhartha Buddha and, and, you know, Arjuna in, in the Bhagavad Gita would have been raised in, uh, their, their entire lifestyle was very systemic in the way that they approach spirituality. You would start with these teachings and then you'd go through these practices and you would learn, you would learn more practices and you would, you know, meet a guru and then practice more. And you would have this, this full step of, or, uh, I guess, you know, multiple steps of progress before eventually reaching this psychedelic mind state of like, oh, wow, like this is nirvana. Or this is, you know, uh, this is euphoria, whatever. Um, and here in the West, we kind of do it backwards where we fucking blow our caps back with drugs. And it's like, oh my God, like there is more. And then we try to trace it back. And not to say that it's the wrong path to take because everybody just has different paths. But it's pretty wild that in the West, we have kind of gotten it back. Yeah, it was, I think that that's true of most things in the West, you know, but, uh, and I, I am a firm believer that any, the, the biggest thing that is important for somebody to be doing with their life is to be making the effort to be on a path towards any sort of, you know, betterment or connection, you know, and even if you're not even on the path, you know, as long as you're trying to be on the path, like then you're doing the right things and eventually you'll lead there, you know, all roads lead to Rome sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, as long as you make it right. I mean, something that my buddy Joe tells me all the time is, is the, the path, the journey and the destination are, are all one and the same, you know? So he, he, this is like the second or third time you brought up your buddy, Joe, is he kind of like, would you call him like your, your spiritual, like uh, guide person? I don't know what the word is. Um, yes, yes. And no, for a while, it's funny. I actually got, I, before I'd gotten sober again, I got really drunk one night and was like, dude, like you're like a guru. And he was like, I love you. Um, I'm not a guru. Like I have a guru. Like I'm. I am just simply learning, you know, like I am, I will always like divulge to you everything that I can to help you. Um, and he's, he's a great reference, um, spiritually for me. He's, I think he is, he's in his mid to late forties. I mean, he's a little bit older than me, but he's, he's a very, very good friend of mine. Like, uh, he's someone that I have learned a lot from about tattooing and a lot about music and a lot about spirituality and just a lot about life in general. I mean, when I, when I hit a roadblock in life, when, when something really tough comes my way, he's almost always the first person that I reach out to, to talk about it. And he's, he's great. 
I mean, he's he's human just like me in every way. And uh he every every single instance in which I've had to say to him, Hey, thank you. Like I learned so much from you. He is always very quick to be like and sing. So that's awesome. You know, I yeah, I feel like a lot of us don't have or acknowledge at least that we have like a good resource like that like a, a friend like someone that we can go to with issues who's just going to be honest and supportive about them at the same time um do you think like how long have you known him like is that just like a relationship you've always had or um i've known him for probably this a hair under three years um he so there was a post that went viral a while back in like 2020 because you might have even seen this this woman brought her 18 year old son into their tattoo shop and he wanted a giant like feather tattooed on his face or something like that something ju that just it was his first tattoo ever he was freshly 18 and joe was like no absolutely not like i would love to give you this tattoo somewhere else um but i won't do it on your face and she went to their Facebook page and wrote this review, putting him on blast for not doing the tattoo. And Joe replied from the business uh, Facebook page and was essentially like, hey, this is why we won't do this. And he worded it so elegantly and so well that I was like, okay, I need to find out whoever the fuck wrote this. I, like, I need to just find whoever it is. And I went and found him on Facebook and added him. And uh, at the time, I had a podcast about psychedelics that I was doing. And I had just very briefly messaged him and was like, hey, like, I saw this post that you made. Like, I would love to, like, hang out sometime, like, and just talk. And he was like, yeah, for sure. And we, like, chatted a little bit. And I was like, hey, you should come on my podcast. And he came on my podcast. And we we did our thing. And just from there, it blossomed. And he lives up in Green Bay, which is where my brother also lives, one of my brothers. And uh, eventually, after, you know, a while of being friends online, I eventually got to go up there and hang out with him and eventually got to guest spot at his shop, the Skinny Buddha. He doesn't own it, but he he works there. Um, and uh, we've just, uh, yeah, over the years, we've just, our, our friendship has gotten more and more fonder and, and I've become very, very good friends with um, everybody at the Skinny Buddha, including Lisa, the co-host of um, our podcast that you fortunately did not get to meet last time. Yeah. And they're yeah. all great. So speaking of podcasts, you're a guy who, from everything you've told me, you're just like so comfortable reaching out to these people that you see online and just being like, hey, let's chat, um, which is awesome. You know, that's such like a way to leapfrog through your tattoo career and just through life in general, you know is to utilize resources when you see them. But uh, how much of that do you think is like inspired by podcasting? And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the podcast you're working on now too? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think that, I think, honestly, I don't know if, if that kind of like approach is really because of podcasting, to be honest. I think it mostly comes from music. Um, like the when I came up in music um, was, you know, a few years after Instagram became a thing. And and at that point in time, 
you know, it was when Facebook events were becoming a thing and when shows were being made, that's, that's how things were figured out and, uh, how communication took place. And from having to do that for music, I think it just translated into tattooing and podcasting really well. Um, I mean, uh, all of, almost all of the opportunities that I've had in tattooing aside from my actual tattooing has been because of my ability to reach out to people and, and talk to them. And uh, that's that's how I've made a lot of friends in tattooing. That's how you and I know each other is from the internet. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 been a super helpful tool in that regard. But I think it I think it mostly like just kind of having that that approach came mostly from music. But it has obviously, like I said, translated into everything else. Um, but I I've recently started a podcast with a couple of friends of mine uh, called Pull the Line. We have yet to debut anything, which obviously you and I talked about briefly at the end of our, our episode that we did. Um, and it's it's a podcast that is done with me. Um, Rich Siri, I think is how I say his last name. Um, and my friend Lisa, I'm not even going to try and say her last name because I will fuck it up super bad. Um, Lisa is the owner of the Skinny Buddha. Um, and, you know, I've been in tattooing about four years Lisa's been in 20, 22 years. Um, she's the first female tattooer in Green Bay. And Rich has been in just a hair under 32 years. So we have, you know, I had I, wanted to do um, a tattooing podcast for a while, but just knew that I didn't have a foundation to do it on my own because obviously I'm, you know, Obviously, I'm still learning like we all are, but I'm very green. And, you know, I love to talk to people and I love to I love to, you know, pick their brains about their backgrounds and, and their approach to tattooing. But just I knew that I had to be respectful. And I reached out to a friend of mine named Paul Dobelman and asked him about it. And it was just like, hey, I value your work and your opinion very highly. This is this thing that I want to do. What do you think of it? And he essentially was like, hey, just focus on tattooing. I love your enthusiasm. I love that you are, you know, that you want to do something good and, you know, you want to be very productive with it, but just focus on tattooing. Like, that's the best thing I can tell you. And that was probably a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, when the time is right, you'll know. And I was talking to Lisa about it back in February or March, I think, um, when I had did my first guest spot at the skinny Buddha and I mentioned it to her and she was like, Hey, if you'd ever, if you need help finding guests, like, let me know. I'm really good friends with my mentor still, obviously. And he's been very good friends with a lot of people in the industry, like Lyle Tuttle. Um, and you know, just let me know if you need help. And I was like, if you were to do the podcast with me and she was like, yeah, that would be great. Like, what about if I ask Richard doing and I was like, yeah, that'd be even better. And uh, yeah, we've been slowly chipping away at putting together our first handful of episodes just so we can kind of stay ahead of the release curve. And uh, so far, it's it's been picking up really well. We have some really awesome guests that are going to come on the show. And we've had some awesome guests on so far, Mike included. Um, and yeah, pull the line. It's a tattooer created podcast about respect and tradition. It's awesome. No, it, uh, so I did the podcast uh, 
two weeks ago now, I think is when we chatted and it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Lisa wasn't there, but I got to talk with Mike and Rich and yeah, it was a great time. Uh, that, that episode will probably be out before this episode. I'm thinking, cause I usually release everything on like a six week delay, but you guys should, uh, keep an eye out for it if it isn't. Um, and I'll try and post a link in the show description. Please go check it out. Um, so might that you say that because I said that about this episode. I was like, this episode will probably be out before yours. <laughs> Do you have any advice that you would like to give to somebody who is, you know, just starting off on their journey into tattooing about just how to just deal with this world? Um, yes. So my fiance is actually an apprentice at the shop that I work at right now. Um, and I've, I've noticed she's, she's become flustered. Yeah. Sorry. She's become flustered, um, lately in a lot of the things that she's been having to do with her apprenticeship. And the one thing that I told to her that I think is something that I'll probably just use repetitiously for the rest of my life. Anytime that I, you know, for some reason find myself in a position to give someone else advice in tattooing is embrace the suck. Like we're all going to think that we suck forever. And if you don't, then go fuck yourself. Like, I don't know. Um, embrace the suck, work through it, use it as a tool. I mean, it's, it's like, I guess, the most basic way to look at it is the way that you could look at like emotions, you know, like allow your emotions to be a guest and talk with, sit down and have tea with them and constructively analyze why they're sitting in your house at your table and then, then let them leave. Let them, let them go. Let the stuff go. Now, how do people find you if they wanted to get tattooed by you or just shoot the shit a little bit? Maybe they want to look up your podcast or even hound you about being on it um instagram my instagram handle is michael dtd um not pronounced dtd as people think um <laughs> or on facebook michael dolock poach i think if you put in michael dtd on there you you will also pull me up um i'm the only person in the world with my name so not hard to find and our podcast will be on spotify and apple podcasts um when it when it debuts, which I think uh, that will probably be before this episode comes out. So hopefully by the, there will be, there'll be stuff that people can find, but pretty easy to find Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. All that stuff. Also listen to my band, Vacant Voice. I'd love you forever. 